Well, our message today is entitled, Little Yellow Better. Danielle's cousin, Ben, has a friend or had a friend, this was many, many years ago, named Chung. Chung, as you can imagine by his name, is not European. He's Chinese. And he has a t-shirt that says, Little Yellow Better. (laughs) And so what you're going to get is a little Asian persuasion, a little Asian invasion today. A little shout out to our demographic here. In the, in the Bay Area, and uh, from Matthew chapter 13, story and parable about the mustard seed. Let's read uh, in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to follow along, I will have it on the screen for you as well. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Little, yellow, better. We're just going to start right out with the fundamental message that I think Jesus is teaching us in this parable, which is simply this. The kingdom of God, this whole movement, all of the things that we've been talking about, all of the things that Jesus has been positioning himself to um, exhort upon this world, challenging his disciples to see and to understand and to consider. That kingdom of God, the very presence and the movement of God in this world, is about the small, the seemingly unimportant, the inferior, the inconsequential, the mediocre, the ordinary, and the insignificant. How many of you feel good right now? You should feel good because I have understood and I've had this taught to me many times and if you pay attention or do any sort of work with people, you start to understand that probably a nice summation of the vast majority of the issues that plague humankind can be summarized in these kinds of experiences, these kinds of feelings, this kind of psychological set, mindset, way in which you see yourself. That all of us in this room are probably deeply insecure or feel as if we don't have enough of what it takes to accomplish what it is that either A, God wants us to accomplish, B, our dreams would have us accomplish, C, the expectations of the people around us. And so when I come to a parable like this that says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, but yet blossoms into something wonderful where birds can come and even, you know, set their nests in it. I get excited and I get thankful and I get encouraged because I read these words that is my summation, small, unimportant, inferior, inconsequential, mediocre, ordinary, insignificant. I'll bet you at one particular point in your life, somewhere along the lines, you have used these words or considered some of these words to describe you. Fundamentally, every single one of us is suffering from a deep insecurity. And as we take a look in this world, as we take a look at all the great accomplishments, especially in our area where big, large, grandiose kinds of things happen. In fact, even if you're in business circles, uh, one of the ideas or principles is that your vision for your company or, or as an entrepreneur should be something 
big, uh, Jim Collins talks about a BHAG, which is a big, hairy, audacious goal, something totally explosive and outside of yourself. So we are tempted every single day by the things around us, by the people around us, by the culture around us, that the things that are big, the things that have the greatest number, largest size, those are the things that are significant. Those are the things that make a difference. Those are the things that make a big impact. And Jesus comes along and says, you know what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like a mustard seed. The small, the unimportant, the inferior, the inconsequential, the mediocre, the ordinary, and the insignificant. And I will tell you, this is great news. Because if it's true that the kingdom of God, the whole movement of Jesus, the summation of the program of Jesus on this earth is about those things, then every single one of us in this room qualifies. Congratulations. Little woo-hoo out there. So this should be very good news. And it's unfortunate because I think even in religious circles or in church circles, the large, the big, the immenseness of church or religion often gets the attention. Why? Because we're in this culture, and just as much as celebrity is a big part of our culture, so celebrity is a part of church as well, or the largeness of the sanctuary, the largeness of the congregation. So we're all tempted. We're all, we all see this. Today, we're going to focus in on the small, the little, the things that actually people don't see, the things that nobody is going to pour millions of dollars of investment money into. The things that you do every single day, the mundane, the attitudes, the words, the actions that nobody but maybe even only yourself and maybe not even yourself are aware that you do. Those are the things that make up the kingdom of God. And this is very good news. And I feel great about this. Because for all the times that I felt that way, this invites and welcomes me in to be a part of something great, which is the kingdom of God, knowing how small and little and insignificant that I am. However, this is not just good news. This is consistent news. If you take a look at the scriptures and the story of God throughout, you find out many times over that God has been working through insignificance, the absence of grandeur, the smallness, the mediocre, the mundane, all throughout. In Isaiah chapter 53, which is a passage that is often considered to be a prophetic passage for the person of Jesus, um, it says this in verse 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So the very person in the model of Jesus, if you take this at face value of understanding the, the message of Jesus and the very presence of Jesus, just another ordinary person. Nothing about him in his appearance, nothing about him in his majesty that would cause us to be attracted to him. Simple. And my other favorite example of this is Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Many of you have seen, you know, the Ten Commandments and the glorious and grandeur beautiful hair of Moses and the, the presence and the deep voice and the grand gestures and the uh, slightly King James English in which Moses speaks. But if you read the story of Moses in Exodus 3 and 4 very carefully, you come up with a completely different picture. God says, I'm going to free my people and you're going to be the person to do it. And Moses' first response, who am I? Basically saying, I'm a nobody. God responds, he says, 
I will be with you. And you would think that the Lord of the universe, the God who has created heaven and earth, all of this is going to be with you when you go to Pharaoh. That should be sufficient. <laughs> Not for Moses. Um, um, but what if they ask me, what is his name? What am I supposed to say? I don't really have an answer for, you know, you being, you know, the Lord of the universe. Could you help me out here? God responds again, I am. And by the way, the elders will listen to you. And so God is trying to give him more assurance. Um, Moses, you would think that that would be enough. But again, he kicks back again and says, um, but, but uh, uh, what if they don't believe me? Moses, you're a stinking wimp. What is wrong with you? And then God responds. He says, what is in your hand? So God, instead of responding with a very clear message, he says, okay, let me just illustrate this for you, Moses. Uh, What's in your hand? Moses says it's a sheep stick, otherwise known as a staff. God says, throw it down on the ground, and he throws it down on the ground. What happens to the staff? Turns into a snake, turns into a serpent takes his hand, puts it in his cloak. He does all of these miraculous wonders to show Moses, I am going to be with you. Now, if you have an image of Moses, once again, being austere, this is the image that we often see. But if you read your passage carefully, if you read your Bible carefully, Moses takes his stick, throws it on the ground, it becomes a snake, and Moses runs from it. He's scared. He tucks his tail between his legs and skedaddles. This is not the image of Moses. This is the image of Moses. And then he says, but I don't speak good English either, or Hebrew, or Egyptian. I don't speak anything good. I am slow as speech and tongue. And God responds, um, who made that tongue? Who gave you words? Who gave you that mouth out of which you speak? Moses, once again, can't get it together. And after all of this, <laughs> um, can you just send somebody else? Because I'm really not your man. I don't know why you've chosen me. <laughs> and God replies, Fine. Take your brother with you. I will put words in both of your mouth, and I will teach you both exactly what to say. Here's going to be your script. God's patience with Moses. If you've ever had an image of these people being big, being large, having it all together, being significant, being out of the ordinary, just remember Moses, because he's a complete wimp. I heard Ken Davis once say that the role of Moses should have never been played by Charlton Heston. The role of Moses probably should have been played by Martin Short. Or maybe Woody Allen. Or Urkel. Or, I don't know, pick your character. The role of Moses was played, or should have been played, by a wimp. Um, Take a look at Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Each time he said, my gracious favor uh, is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may work through me. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I am quite content with my weakness and with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul once again declares that it's not Paul's greatness. It is his weakness It is his insignificant, it's his incompetence that drives him to boast. And through his weakness and through all of that 
that is when God gets glory and God's great work and God's great kingdom moves forward. A nice way of putting it might be to say this. The kingdom is not about extraordinary people, but rather about ordinary people who will simply trust an extraordinary God. And I hope that you hear loud and clear in the midst of this culture, in the midst of our insecurities, in the midst of all the messages that you're going to get about great things that happen in this world, And if you ever compare yourself to that image and say, I don't think I can accomplish that. I don't speak as good as somebody else. I don't have that gift and I don't have that talent. In fact, frequently in conversation, this is one of the first things that we go to when we meet somebody. Oh, you're so wonderful. There's no way that I can do this. And it's a nice, polite way of having conversation. But deep down inside, I think we do compare ourselves and we say, yeah, I don't have what you have and, and what you have is so great and I could never be as great as what you have. Stop that. It's not about being great. It's not about those talents. And it's not about somebody having so much more than what you have. The kingdom of God, this movement, this mustard seed faith is about ordinary people. All of us. Simple, insignificant, seemingly mediocre, mundane, regular, everyday people who are simply trusting an extraordinary God every single step of the way. So there's some ways in which we could put this. Great lessons that we could come out, that could come out of this. First of all, as many of us have heard, just simply come as you are. If there's anything that's hindering you from taking further steps of faith or growing deeper in your relationship with Christ, just simply come as you are. Just simply be exactly who God has created you to be. Another lesson that I like to take away from this is there, there are no spiritual standards. I know people who struggle and wrestle with faith because there's other people who are more knowledgeable, have been along the, the spiritual or, or Christian journey much longer. And because they have so much more wisdom or because they have so much more knowledge or so much more experience or they know the Christian lingo, there's something wrong with their spiritual journey because they don't have that. According to Jesus and according to mustard seed faith, there are no spiritual standards. In fact, if you listen to two messages ago about Jesus' railing and the thing that he gets most upset about, it's the religious people who are tying up heavy burdens and laying them on others. So there are no spiritual standards when it comes to mustard seed faith, wherever you are in the journey. This is one of the things that we've talked about at Spark before. You are not required to have all the adequate theology or an adequate statement of faith or an adequate understanding of God. Um, uh, Footnote, none of us do. And so mustard seed faith is all about wherever you are, just simply come. (laughs) Mustard seed faith is all about inadequacy, is completely welcome, and it's expected. You should all be feeling really good about yourselves right about now. Inadequacy should be welcomed and expected. I remember this story that Duffy Robbins tells many, many years ago about a student. And and we hear this, um, I've been in youth ministry for a long time, I hear this all the time, because the fundamental measure of your spiritual maturity is all about your sexual behavior and your sexual ethic in teenage years. Are you familiar with this? So a teenager walks into Duffy Robbins' office and says, that's it! I clearly don't love God, I've been struggling too much in this area. And he slams his hand down on the desk and he says, I'm just going to pray that God strikes every sexual desire from my body right in this instant. And Duffy Robbins says, hold on a second. Let me leave the room just in case he misses. (laughs) But in that cry, 
is the expression and the yearning and the hurt and the shame and the guilt of, I'm not measuring up. Guess what? Mustard seed faith knows that. Inadequacy, shortcoming, not able to make it. Just like Moses, I don't speak good. I I can't do this. Can you just please send somebody else? Mustard seed faith recognizes that inadequacy is welcome and expected. Because it's never been about you in the first place. It's always been about Christ in you, the hope of glory, working in through you. A couple other points. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. For those of you who have heard this phrase, it just simply means that we are all equal. We should start to begin to see each other in that same way. If you ever have deprecating attitudes towards somebody else, say, well, I'm not quite sure what kind of a Christian they are simply because of your evaluation of them. Mustard seed faith challenges us to say, you know what, that person is equal when it comes to this journey of faith. And then last, um, stop apologizing for who you are. Stop apologizing for your inadequacy. Stop apologizing for the fact that you don't measure up. Stop apologizing for the ways in which you see yourself not being good enough, big enough, smart enough, large enough, whatever it is, enough, enough, enough. Stop apologizing. And start celebrating, okay, I am giving myself over fully and completely to who God is in my life, that I've been created in his image and his likeness. That's what I'm celebrating. I don't need to apologize for me. I just am. And God's working on me just like he's working on you. And he's going to do great things in and through me just like he's doing great things in and through you. Um, Danielle has said this many years ago, uh, that we don't need more self-esteem, we need more Christ-esteem recognizing exactly who we are in the image and likeness of Christ. So, the first thing about mustard seed faith is we recognize that the small, the insignificant, the mundane, the ordinary, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. And if that's the case, every single one of us qualifies. The second thing is that this Mustard seed faith, if you notice this parable, is all about a man who takes the seed and he plants it in the ground. Um, this is another story from Danielle. Many years ago, she was in a college group down in Bel Air Presbyterian Church. And uh, you know about generational divides, how some language in one generation doesn't necessarily translate to another generation. And so he's doing, I know, poor Danielle, she knows it. Uh, so the pastor in the, f- it's a hoe. Okay, so the pastor at this college group is becoming very adamant and strong in his preaching and declares as a gardening analogy that every Christian needs a hoe. (laughs) Now, (laughs) that's for you, Marcus. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So now, obviously, we wouldn't want to use it in that particular language. Yes, I apologize. There are children in the room. However, the fundamental principle in the idea is the same when it comes to mustard seed faith. Plant what you have, don't pout about what you have. Plant what you have, don't pout about what you have. So, whatever it is that you have, whoever it is that God has created you to be, just simply plant it and let it germinate and let it grow and let God give sunlight and water and nourishment and watch it go. Part of the lesson, and there's much more to talk about, is that once you plant that seed, whatever it is that you are, whatever gift or talent that you've brought, whatever mediocreness that you think you have and you've planted it, you've invested it, you are no longer responsible for what happens. 
and you get to watch that planting just go out into this world and to do its thing. And you get to stand back and you get to be in awe and wonder and amazement. Part of mustard seed faith recognizes that you are not the manipulator of what growth happens as a result of you planting that seed. You are not the manipulator of what happens. You get to simply watch it happen. This is the movement of the kingdom. And I will tell you many, many times um, in ministry, and I'll just tell personally, I'm sure many of you could tell this story, where out of a response of faithfulness, you are loving Jesus, you're trying to do your best, you feel inadequate, you feel mediocre, you sometimes actually feel embarrassed or hesitant to, you know, you feel this nudge, but you're not quite sure, you don't want to embarrass yourself, you don't want to be rude or disruptive to somebody, so you're not quite sure, but out of faith, you, you say this one thing, or you do this act of service, or you lay down your life a little bit in this way, and then years later, days later, hours later, or whatever, that person comes back to you and says, you know, that thing that you said, that thing that you did, let me tell you about what happened as a result. And I um, actually had that happen recently. I was with a bunch of kids this last weekend, seventh graders and ninth graders, um, and asked me afterwards some of the hilarious things that they say all the time. But anyway, um, one of the teachers was on the trip, and I appreciated her being there because she's um, TKA. The King's Academy is a great place where teachers are invested in students. And she said to me, you know what, um, Kevin, I never told you but I wasn't going to come on this trip. I said, really? What? She was hesitant, not quite sure, wasn't, you know, it's just, I had a lot of other things that was going on. I said, so what happened? He, she said, that devotion that you gave on Tuesday, you asked us one question. You asked us, why do we do these trips in the first place? And that one question triggered a whole cascading um, series of events and thoughts in my mind that reminded me of the importance of mentoring, the importance of pouring into the next generation, the importance and the value of what this school is all about, which is spiritually growing the next generation. And so I decided to come. Now, I had no clue, no idea. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I have, is anybody listening? Hello? Is this, is this thing on? Hello? And then you recognize, my job is not to make and manipulate whatever growth happens. And I'm not trying to make that tree get into the right place so the birds can come. No, my job is just simply to plant it and let it be. And I will bet you that many of you in this room have had that experience. And if you haven't had the experience, you probably have had the experience and aren't aware of it. And I will bet you anything that if we were to take this up and start to do that even now in this room and in this place in our families and our works, uh, workplaces and all those you will start to become more and more aware of those little, seemingly insignificant things. You're at work, and you're with a coworker, and you just say an encouraging word. It wasn't solicited. Maybe it wasn't even deserved. But you say that encouraging word, and as a result of where that person is, the life that they are finding themselves in, the discouragement that they receive from their supervisor, your encouraging word helped to transform their experience at work. Maybe there was somebody who, who's struggling and you just stepped in and you helped to pick something up off of the ground, but you had no idea that that person, as a result of your actions, was deeply touched, transformed by that action because of their circumstance and their situation. This is mustard seed faith. This is little yellow better. Those little things transform into large and beautiful big things. Now, the most beautiful example of this is all of you in this room, right here, right now, and the 
hundreds of thousands of churches and the billions of Christians that exist in this world. Here's what a mustard seed plant looks like in Israel today. Here's what the seeds look like. When Jesus uses this parable, he's talking about the smallest, most minutest thing he could possibly think about. Here's another picture. And this little thing is packed full of all the genetic information it needs to become something like this. And there's this walk that Danielle and I take from the hotel to uh, downtown Jerusalem, and there's this mustard tree there that exists. And we, every time we walk by it, we, we consider and think once again of this parable. That little thing planted in the ground became this, where birds can come and find shelter and lay their nests. Now, <clears throat> there's a whole other level to this, and some of you have heard us teach about this before, but it's also additionally powerful to understand Herod the Great and what he did in this world. And we'll close with this. There's lots of building projects that Herod did, and this is another teaching for another time. He was a master builder, phenomenally wealthy, and created structures that today boggle the mind, boggle kind of the engineering mind to this day. This is just a sampling. Masada, Caesarea, Jerusalem, he had palaces all over the place. Um, I like to compare it to Donald Trump and like to say that Donald Trump owns an outhouse compared to Herod the Great. I mean, this is the kind of building projects that he has. One of them is called the Herodium or the Herodian, if you're speaking in Greek or speaking in Latin, depends on which word. The Herodian is this mountain fortress about six miles south of Jerusalem, and it is massive. It's out in the middle of the Judean wilderness, and it's got this... Um, it's full of all sorts of crazy things out in the middle of the desert that you would ever imagine. It's got a Roman bathhouse. It's got palace. Uh, it's got a colonnade there. It's also got gardens that live and exist inside of that tower. It's got a cistern to hold water. There's a swimming pool down near the base of it. It's just phenomenally brilliant and beautiful. This is one artist's rendition of what this palace might have looked like. Now, it's important to understand a couple things about this. Number one, this palace shoots out of the ground and is one of the most prominent images in the landscape of Jerusalem. Here I am standing on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and six miles away, you can see the Herodians sticking out. And the reason why that's significant is because of this. If you take a look at the landscape of Jerusalem or the Judean wilderness, there is no other hill that looks this tall and this high. And so archaeologists have to ask the question, how did this mountain become what it is? The best guess that we have, and this is a guess, but the best guess that we have is that Herod took a mountain that already existed or a hill that already existed and moved the dirt from that mountain to this mountain to create the conical shape and to create his palace and to ensure that his palace protruded up out of the ground. In other words, literally, Herod moved a mountain. Now, this is one of multiple building projects of Herod. If you want to think and consider about what is big, what is full of grandeur, what is massive, what is like in your face, huge numbers, huge data, you can't get around the influence of the largesse of who Herod is. This is a good picture of feeling and sensing about that. What does this have to do with mustard seed faith? Well, Mark chapter 11 says this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes 
that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And then in Matthew chapter 17, he replied, some disciples were having some difficulty with praying for a demon. He says, they ask, why were we having this trouble? And Jesus responds, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that small, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I think upon the backdrop of Herod and his building projects and the fact that he moved a mountain, Jesus speaks these words and says, that's big, that's huge, that's significant, that's large. But if you even have mustard seed faith, that small faith, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, which I think is a total hint towards Herod moving a mountain. You will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done for you. This is one of my favorite pictures. When we're in Israel and we lead these tours, we ask people, how much did you know about Herod? We talk about his history, we talk about his family, we talk about his building projects, we talk about all of that. And very, very, very few knew anything about Herod other than that he's mentioned in the Bible and he killed babies when Jesus was born. If you want to talk about large, big, huge, massive, you have to talk about Herod, which is why he's called Herod the Great. And here we are, gathered in a small little synagogue as a church in Palo Alto, California, celebrating not Herod, celebrating Jesus. Here's this man who we believe to be God in the flesh. No form, wasn't majestic. Didn't have anything about him that would cause us to be attracted to him. Took a bunch of seemingly insignificant kids, poured his life and ministry and work into them, told them to go out and do discipleship, healings, and here we are today as a result. And I'll bet you if you were to ask Jesus in these terms, do you think this little thing that you're doing is ever going to make a difference? Do you think this little thing that you're doing is ever going to cause anybody to be transformed, to cause anybody's life to be touched, cause anybody's heart to be moved? Do you, do you really think, and, well, I, I got 12 and a bunch of others, and this is what we're doing. Yeah. This is a beautiful example. I don't know if you can see, but here's the mustard plant. Did you notice in the background? The Herodian. This is one of my favorite pictures. I remind myself every time I see this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed. By the way, remember that word faith is not just faith to believe, but faithfulness to follow through. If you're able to follow through even just that little bit, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll be done. Little, yellow, way better than Herod. This whole movement of Jesus is about the small revolution. It's about never, ever underestimate the power of your actions and your words and your little everyday things that you do to influence family, to influence friends, to make a difference in a community such as this, to make a difference in the world. 
And this is the persistent revolution. It is to say that once that seed has been planted in the ground, God takes a hold of it, waters it, sees it grow, and there's nothing that can stop it. Herod's kingdom came to a dismal, unfortunate, embarrassing end. So much so that the Jews after him, some, uh, <clears throat> some people that were uprising, went to his tomb and smashed his tomb to pieces to desecrate his tomb because he was like, we don't want to remember who you were. And yet you're here because of this mustard seed faith that got planted and planted and planted over and over again. Those disciples planted that seed and another disciple planted another seed, another disciple planted another seed, and that's why you're here. Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of who you are, the fact that you are created in God's image. And if you ever feel insignificant, if you ever feel mediocre, if you ever feel like you're not measuring up, if you ever feel like you're too small, if you ever feel like you're not the celebrity pastor or minister that you're supposed to be, if you ever feel like what you have doesn't measure up, congratulations, you have been welcomed and invited into the kingdom of God. Little yellow way Father, thank you so much for transforming our hearts and causing us to be part of a revolution that is completely upside down from what we would normally expect. Help us to be reminded once again that the greatness of your movement in this world is not contingent upon our greatness. It's all because of your greatness. And somehow you use all of us, seemingly insignificant, seemingly inconsequential people to do amazing, phenomenal, wonderful things in this world. So Lord, in this moment, this evening, we just simply confess to you that as difficult and challenging as it is, we are going to yield ourselves wholly and completely to you. Help us to do that more so every day. Take us, Lord, our gifts, our talents, our personalities, our words, our actions, Plant them, God, wherever you want to see them planted. And Lord, we just simply ask for the privilege of watching it grow into what it is that you want it to be. And we pray this in your holy name. Everybody said, amen.